and welcome to the Pink Sheep Tales podcast. Pink Sheep Tales? What's this all about, I hear you ask? Well, the name is based on the old saying, Black Sheep of the Family, and Tales, T-A-L-E-S, is a play on words because we'll be hearing people's life stories. So through this podcast, I'm so excited to be able to share these remarkable stories from inspirational children and adults with you. These everyday people are building amazing businesses, excelling in their careers, exceptional in their industries, choosing unique career paths, and all in the name of living their best life. My goal is to encourage listeners to follow their passions and be inspired by our pink sheep who have and are doing just that. So let's do it. Let's open the gate and hear this week's Pink Sheep Tale. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Pink Sheep Tales. I'm really excited to have my special guest with me today. I've known her all her life. And she's just a fantastic person, and I've wanted to let everyone know her story because she is one unique lady. She used to be a jockey. So going with our theme of um, women in male-dominated industries, well, this is, you know, taking it to the nth degree, which she was definitely um, a minority in a majority of a male dominated industry there. So I'll introduce her now. So Sammy, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Your story really interests me because you were a female jockey and it's just such a male dominated industry. And I think everyone would be really interested to hear your story and um, where you are now, how you became a jockey. So would you like to just give us a little overview of your life and where you are at the moment? Sure. So at the moment, I'm um, currently 45 and I'm working in the area of families um, relating to domestic violence of male victims instead of female victims, which is quite rare. Mm -hmm. Well, it actually isn't rare, but it's unique, should I say, and it's um, great that the issues are finally being addressed um, because, you know, there is a real crisis with this sort of work. Um, I've been doing this for four years. I was working as a jockey um, from when I left school at 15 years old until uh, I think I retired in about 98. Um, so I was in the racing industry for around 10 years as a strapper and then a, and then a jockey for uh, my apprenticeship and then followed through with around three years following that as a qualified uh, senior jockey. Oh, excellent. So Yeah. <laughs> What I like to do is go back and we sort of see um, if we think about younger Sam, like what you were like at school, what your interests were, um, were you, could you see yourself becoming a jockey? Like you 15, you're in school when you started that. So ha- was it something that was a passion for your entire life? Um, look, it wasn't a passion for my entire life, I guess. Um the youngest Sam, you know, was interested in most animals and um, horses, obviously, like most young girls, you know, everybody wants a pony, I guess. And uh, when my father, my parents separated when I was uh, only seven years old and my father's second wife was into horses, however, they were show horses. And so I got tied up in doing a little bit of show work 
I guess when uh, I was around, you know, 9, 10, 11 or somewhere there, and then fell in love with the animal because they're magnificent. Um, so I went into show riding, et cetera, and then uh, we had a video shot with my mum and my stepfather and an old fellow used to come in there by the name of Jack and he was saying, you should be a jockey, you should be a jockey, you know, horses. And um, <laughs> anyway, there was an apprenticeship going out at a local stable out at Wilberforce outskirts of Sydney. Yeah. So one led, thing led to another and I was all of about 38 kilos ringing wet and um, I went out and applied for the position and um, got it, which was obviously the stable hand to start with and, um, you know, couldn't even push a broom, so it was pretty <laughs> difficult at the time. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's where my passion and love for, you know, the beautiful racehorse began. Ah, so did you literally just go to the stable and say, I'd like to apply for the apprenticeship? Was there anything that they were looking for? Well, obviously somebody that's tiny, tiny. to, um, you know, obviously somebody that is uh, going to be a jockey needs to be um, small in stature. So um, obviously I wasn't very strong at the time and, and there was a few difficulties in pushing wheelbarrows, etc. Mm. But um I started off there, I did some work. Uh, I'd already actually been there to do some work in the school holidays and for a work experience as I was in Year 10 at the time. And then um, I applied for that position and obviously it wasn't straight into it as an apprentice jockey and I worked for there for a few years before the opening opened up for that. Yeah, I just did stables and, and um, worked with the horses, yeah. So at that age, at the young age of 15 getting into it did, was it something you were aware of that there weren't many women doing this I didn't actually know too much about race horses to be honest and when I reflect back to some of the things I really had no idea you know I didn't come from a family of racing and um you know I remember some uh, relatives that would have a bet on the weekend and I'd hear the you know the transistor radio going and <laughs> and I knew some relatives that were into trotting but not actually the racehorse gallopers so I didn't actually know too much about it I just had a passion to ride horses at that stage and the thought of going too fast etc was quite terrifying and obviously the massive animals and they're so powerful but um I started there just working on the weekends and then like I said I applied for the full-time position so I was 15 when I left school and in that January still at 15 years old I started full-time six days a week in the stables. What would a typical day be like for you? I'm not sure how it is now but I know I know it's changed a lot but when I was an apprentice, you know, it was pretty tough days. We'd start at 5, we'd finish at 10, we'd go home. It was a split shift. So, obviously, in the morning we'd start off, you know, feeding horses and mucking out their stables and then take a load into Hawkesbury Racecourse where uh, fast work would be done, which would be, you know, the pace work, three-quarter pace and, and um, galloping. Mm-hmm. And then you'd bring them back home to the stables, feed them, water them and all that sort of thing and um, and then you would have a break through the middle of the day and then you'd come back to the stables in the afternoon around three o'clock and again to the stables, take them for a walk, put them out in yards for a run, stretch their legs, um, you know, do all their feet and, and groom them, etc. and then feed them up again. Yeah, so it was a big day and then obviously if 
if we had horses going to the races, uh, that could also, we'd leave at 10 o'clock or 8 o'clock even to take them to the races, depending on how far we had to travel. So it could be anywhere from 5am start or, you know, 4am start to, um, you know, 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night if you're travelling out west or, you know, a long way to the races. So there were big days and, and it was uh, it was very tiring work. Yeah. How many other yeah. um, people were your age? There's actually, you know, there's quite a few that are your age. A lot of the people are drawn to, you know, the power and the, uh, you know, therapeutic um, option of racing as well because, you know, there's a family within racing. And so a lot of people that probably come from, you know, I guess, I don't like the word, but dysfunctional backgrounds or people that, you know, are lacking something in their personal life are drawn to racing because there's a real family uh, nature to it so there's a lot of people with, you know I think that back in my day <laughs> you know if you couldn't get a job or you know you weren't educated that you know it was a good option and you know people are passionate about the horses and the racing so yeah. it was a great option too yeah well that sort of leads if we could skip a few years and because that's a good segue to the business you've created the consultancy business you've created um, so this might be a good time to explain what business you have started. Sure. So I guess uh, over the time, you know, I retired from racing and like I just suggested, you know, I didn't actually have any background leaving school at 15. Early days at school I wanted to be a vet, but then obviously I realised that you have to work really hard to do that and I didn't want to work hard because I wasn't a fan of school. Um, so... In the end, I just uh, did lots of other jobs. I worked in childcare and did any sort of work that I could get by um, with a limited education. So then I came across a counsellor myself because I needed some direction. Who was a? His name is Chris Bauer, and he's a, a GP, obstetrician, turned family therapist, and. Um, we were trying to network to find out where my passion lied. And so uh, he suggested that I get into community services because, you know, I'm passionate about the helping industry. And, um, yeah, I really wanted to help people. I didn't know in what context at that time. Everything still kept leading me back to racing because I am passionate about it. And um, But at the time I thought I would do something broad. So I did a... Um, a dual diploma in community services and case management. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I started seeing where I wanted to go. So then I went on to university and did a, a degree in social science, social welfare, yeah. um, which led me to the work that I do now in domestic violence and which, you know, I'm passionate about and I'm passionate about family therapy because I think that it's an important thing, relationships. However... I still wasn't quite happy with that, so I went on to do a postgraduate degree in counselling um, because I really love the face-to-face -face work and I think that it's important to support people to support themselves. So, I mean, a counsellor works to help people make informed decisions, so I was really passionate about that. So I just graduated in December and have created a business called 
uh, Racing Industry Consultancy, Samantha Gordon Counselling. So the business that I'd like to go into, well, that I'm creating, is to support jockeys and uh, racing industry participants um, because I understand, obviously, firsthand the challenges that go within the industry. And, um, you know, as I said, I was a jockey for 10 years, um, so I think I have a pretty good understanding of a lot of those challenges. And then now with my seven years of university to get my two degrees, we studied a lot of psychology and counselling and, uh, you know, relationship issues and obviously the challenges that go with the racing industry and disposable income and, you know, there's a whole list of things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations on graduating last year. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, I yeah. bet that, that's a, a long journey, seven years. Yeah, it was. It was difficult. And, um, you know, I've got a son that's 15. I think he's pretty happy that, that there's no more studies for me. So, yeah. 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 Oh, I bet. I bet. It's full-time. Yeah. And so yeah. you were um, – were you doing full-time or part-time study? Um, so I was actually doing part-time study. So I was doing – my postgraduate degree, I did them actually both online. Um, my postgraduate degree obviously had components of face-to-face with that, obviously, to um, get the experience. So I did that through the University of New England at Armadale. So we had to go on campus and do um, face-to-face interviewing and counselling skills and, you know, videos and whatnot with lectures, etc. So... Yeah, it was uh, most of it was online um, with the uh, the components. So yeah, oh. it was um, it was great. Oh, mm. that's fantastic! So if we flip back now to what led us to that conversation, then so you uh-huh. were um, you started your apprenticeship when you were fifteen, and you were um, w- within the industry for yeah. ten years. So yeah, sure. Did that pretty much was that your whole? Did that it? take up your whole life those 10 years it sounds like it was um it's not like a nine-to-five job you no, it's yeah. it's consumed your entire life yeah my entire life so yeah like I said we work six days a week yeah. in the racing industry and um you know it's really hard and you manage you know they could be um I know that other stables do it differently, but we were sort of in the provincial, so it was a little bit different. We didn't have our own horses as such to look after. We looked after the whole team, and so we'd have up to 30 horses in work with uh, Wade and Dory and Swingcard at Wilberforce. And so, yeah, six days a week, and, you know, they were big days, and uh, we worked really hard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was consuming. So I did that for 10 years until I was 25, and then at 25 no particular fall had caused it, but I had some wear and tear issues with um, my back that the doctor, the race club doctor sort of suggested that weren't going to get any better. Mm-hmm. So I had to make a decision of what to do at that time. And, you know, it, for one, it was the only thing that I knew. And for two, I was so passionate about it. I lived it, breathed it. It was, you know, my deal of everything and, you know, it was a big decision to make, but, you know, obviously your health comes first and you have to do what's the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How soon after that was your son born? Oh, he wasn't born for another seven years after that. Yeah. 
So in that time, um, I was lucky that a local lady knew of a position going in a daycare centre. So I worked in a daycare centre for seven years. And in that time, I um, got married and had my son. Oh, sorry, I had my son at 30, not for seven years, sorry. Um, so I had my son five years later at the age of 30. And at that time, I just took a small amount of time off with him and then went back, obviously, because I worked in the daycare centre. I could take him along, so that worked out well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I did that for another couple of years yeah so have there been any physical uh, struggles as a result of um, racing or any other health issues that um, you've overcome that you'd like to share with our audience when I had my son you know there was um, a few complications and I um, had a medical condition where which meant that I had to uh, have an emergency cesarean where um, some health issues played out that um you know, I was lucky to come out of. And then when my son was nine months old to the day, actually, uh, which was just around the corner, um, I suffered a, um, a subarachnoid hemorrhage. So I ended up in a coma for five days. At that time, obviously, they did a lot of tests to find out what was happening and whether it was a direct result of um, any race falls that I had. Um, because I suffered a bad race fall back in 93 where I had a fractured skull, cracked ribs, cracked pelvis, um, dislocated collarbone and, you know, had to have a shoulder reconstruction and things. And so they wondered if the hemorrhage could have been a direct result from that. However, uh, with all the scans and tests, et cetera, they said that it was just, you know, a bolt from the blue, like a stroke, it can happen to anyone. Mm. Um, I was in a coma for five days and they gave me a 4% chance of living. So that was a pretty big challenge to overcome as a, you know, new mum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would have been really scary for you, for your family. Yeah, it was and, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you're all okay now though? Yeah, no, everything's yeah. okay now. So, I mean, I haven't had tests for a long time, but they said that, you know, I've probably got less chance than somebody else because I've had a lot of scans, so they know that there's no, you know, aneurysm or anything like that. Oh, good. Um, yeah, so mm. no, that's all good, so that's great, but, you know, I was very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's just something that's really okay. personal and, yeah, but... Yeah. Oh, um, I guess um, the other, you know, challenges that I've overcome, I guess, is going from something that you're extremely passionate about to be told that, you know, you should probably give up riding. And like I stated that, you know, I didn't have any education background leaving school at 15. So it was a real challenge to find a job full mm. stop, um, let alone a job that I was so passionate about. So, you know, there's a lot of key factors that when somebody goes into the racing industry and seeks what they're seeking, um, it's easy for somebody that's drawn into racing that's, you know, an adrenaline person that gets excited about going 60 kilometres on a horse and, um, you know, it takes a, a certain type of person and a genetic makeup to attract that person to become a jockey. So, mm. you know, those same genetic factors later in life can also cause anxiety and depression. So, you know, I did struggle my own with my own mental health for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, it's always something that you have to maintain. It's not something that goes away because, you know, it is part of your genetic makeup. So that's also what's driven me to be passionate about the helping profession because I understand if I didn't find somebody that's kind of, I guess, what you'd say is, I got it, you know, understood. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where I would be today. 
Yeah. yeah. So, you know, because also with some of those underlying issues comes, you know, um, anxiety, depression, addiction, whether it be alcohol, drugs, um, also issues, you know, gambling and being in an industry like racing where it's primarily there in front of your face. Um, mm. That is something also that can be a challenge for a lot of retired jockeys post-racing. Yeah. Yeah. So you really from personal experience and you still socialize within the racing industry and know a lot of jockeys and trainers and so you can really it's not like going to another counselor just an average counselor who you have to explain all the politics and the the work and the whole background to racing to start then telling your story you kind of just know it from the beginning and you can really just talk to them about what the actual issue is and they know that you understand because you've been there yeah exactly and so that's why you know I think this um is a great opportunity because I have a niche of being in the industry I've lived experience and now obviously I have two uni degrees that can follow up on on what I knew with the um statistics of what these issues really are so Mm. you know obviously when somebody seeks some counseling it's a massive massive step in the first place because of the stigma that's associated with you know any sort of mental health or any other the illness that isn't a physical sign that people can see so people struggle with you know seeking support in the first place so I think that what I bring to the table is quite unique because as you stated I don't need to they don't need to explain to me and it's not something that is easily understandable if you haven't been in the racing industry so mm. with my previous experience you know, I think it's great that I I don't have to hear that. So, you know, I can deal with then some presenting problems and then look at what's the underlying factors between you know, for these people and what their issues are. Yeah. And like you said you know, you said, I um I still have a lot of contacts in the racing industry. I still talk to um jockeys uh, sorry, trainers that were jockeys, you know. I mean Tracy Bartley's a good friend of mine and, you know, he said that he was happy for me to mention here, you know. Um there's a lot of other jockeys and um, jockeys still older jockeys that are still riding, you know, Anthony Cavallo. A lot of my friends, they're great people and, you know, I've also, you know, supported them over the years and, um, you know, um, I think that it's, you know, everybody seems to support the idea because they can see not only with their struggles but they can see the younger generation coming through and some of the key factors, you know, obviously having disposable cash like, jockeys do and also you know young apprentice jockeys when they come out of their apprenticeship they're all of a sudden the successful ones are then given this massive lump sum of cash and if they don't have the correct support whether it be you know financial advisors counselors legal lots of areas uh these guys can just really go down the wrong avenue Mm. yeah yeah and um when we were talking last night about today's interview, I sort of threw up the idea that you could expand to um, help any sort of professional sports person because it is that's something that translates across all sport. There's there's a different. It's not like going to your social footy club and playing social footy. There's it's different when you're a professional. So you could translate your services to any sport as well 
Yes, that's correct. Mm. So, I mean, jockeys aren't an isolated profession. And, you know, I mean, the thing is you have a look at any elite sports person and a lot of them are after they're in the industry, whilst they're in the industry and then following on, you know, have a lot of issues following that because they go from this person who is just, you know, this is their be all and end all. And then how do they move forward that transition mm. from being this, you know, especially in the way, well, no, like I said, any elite sports person where they're very popular and people are, they're focused on, you know, everybody's focused on them because of that bit of popularity. Um, so then when they go away from that, many jockeys, you know, Bill Aspers, lots of people that have had race balls, things like that, they then go, well, who am I now? Mm. You know, their money disappears. Nobody wants to know them. And, you know, there's, a, I could name 10 jockeys straight off their, the bat that could, you know, um, could also say the same, you know, that as soon as they stopped riding in races, as soon as the money went, their friends disappeared, which is, you know, such a sad scenario, but yeah. it is really, you know, the case. And so any elite sports person could, you know, have some challenges when they retire. And so I think that it's important to see how they can move forward from that once they retire. And I worked with some other people previously in, in looking at pathways for that retirement or for that redirection of another industry or another how they could also work in the industry in a different capacity because I think it's important to maintain these relationships within the industry because they're so talented and they know so much about it that the racing industry should keep them in some form you know whatever that may be yeah yeah well yeah it's it's fantastic and it's great that you you do have the support of past and present uh, jockeys and people within the industry now that are will be able to support and advocate for this service that you want to provide to people. So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's really exciting. Yeah. Well, yeah. we could keep talking about that forever. But <laughs> we let, could. Yeah, yeah. So what's something socially that you love to do? Now that so, you've finished uni, you've got all this time on your hands. <laughs> I do. <laughs> And that has been an adjustment in itself because, you know, working full-time, I've been working two jobs um, while I do the domestic violence work. I've also been um, teaching at TAPE as a um, as a teacher for TVET students. So they're the students that are doing, you know, the HSC that do a certificate two at the same time. So I've been teaching them community services, which has been great because I think it's really important to empower our younger generation. Yeah. So that's been really exciting. So between two jobs and... Um, and staying up until 2 o'clock writing essays, etc. Um, it is an adjustment. So what do I do with my time? Um, obviously, I've got um, some racing friends still. So I have a friend down the south coast. Um, their racehorse trainers, Terry Robinson, and my friend um, Nick Miller. She has a horse riding business on Shoalhaven Heads down at the beach, which is fantastic to get away for a ride when I can. Actually, I'm going this weekend. Yeah. And um, could, I you, also... could you say that suburb again? Um, so down at Shoalhaven Head. So, Shoalhaven. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Shoalhaven Head. So they've got a, about, I think they've got more uh, ponies now than they do racehorses. So they have around 20-odd racehorses, uh, sorry, 20-odd horses that they take out on the beach. They do sunrise, sunset, special occasions and... Um, it's fantastic just to get away to reconnect with the horses and and get away from the stressful uh, work that I do. Um, so I really enjoy that. I have a couple of crazy Labradors, which I love and um, enjoy spending time with them. 
I do use some yoga to um, calm my mind and I think it's a really good uh, holistic approach to my own well-being because obviously that's important when I deal with crisis situations a lot so it helps reduce stress. Yeah. And like I said, I have a 15-year-old son who's very passionate about becoming a pilot so I try and get him out to Bankstown to do some flying um, on his own. So, yeah, it's great. So it's a... It's he's, a very full life. Yeah, yeah, he's also an avid musician. He sure is. Yeah, uh, we're going to interview him when, next time he's available because he's got a busy little schedule with everything he does. He does. He, uh, he goes to a performing arts high school and he's super, super talented. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, was there anything that we haven't spoken about that you'd like to add in? The other thing is obviously, you know, to combine uh, more of a holistic approach because we know about um, animal therapy with, you know, adults and people with PTSD and, you know, reducing stress and trauma in people, you know, childhood trauma, things like that. I think that, you know, just between my Labradors and also some horse riding, I think uh, that would be really good also because it's so complex, some of the issues that we deal with. I think um, obviously animal therapy makes anybody happy, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I've got four yeah. cats. It has to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We know that, you know, the good endorphins come out when we, um, well, most people when we come around animals mm. and, you know, there's proven statistics that prove that so yeah I think that's a great thing also to combine so yeah yeah so, so you'd like yeah. to combine that with your um consultancy business yeah 100 yeah, oh, yeah brilliant. I think it'd be great mm. oh brilliant so a young girl out there thinking she likes her her horse how could she and she because that um Michelle Payne's movie came out last year and that was very popular so there's probably has given a few little girls some ideas of oh, I might be, like to become a jockey what yeah. advice would you give them? Um, oh, look, I think it's a, you know, the racing industry is such a great industry and like I said, it's a, a family industry, you know. I think once you're in it, um, you're hooked and I think, you know, it's easy for people to say, well, if you're not happy to move on, but, you know, it's really not that easy and it is quite addictive and so, you know, I'd say definitely choose a career path in the racing industry. Obviously, find the right career path because every career path isn't the right one um, as a young person going into the industry um, but you know I'm happy to have a chat with anybody that wants to talk about it so yeah I think that would be great. If anyone was wanting to get in touch with you for uh, counselling services or just advice on how to become a jockey or hear more about your story where could they get in touch with you? I'm happy to talk to anybody um, so if they want to get in contact with me um, on Facebook at Racing Welfare Consultancy uh, just drop me an inbox and I'm happy to give them a call and speak to them. Oh fantastic and we'll add um, any other links or contact details for yourself to the show notes and to our Facebook page as well with this podcast so it's just a quick um, click away to get in touch with Sam. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Sam, for all your time. We've really appreciated it. And it is a really interesting story. The excellent timing because it comes off the back of um, Ride Like a Girl. And we're talking about, you know, a male-dominated industry, and it still is male-dominated, but thinking back to when you first started, you know, you were really um, a pioneer at that time and just hearing your story of coming out of it and the other 
challenges you've overcome to be where you are now. It's just fantastic and an inspiration to other people. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for listening and I hope you really enjoyed this week's tale. Let me now invite you to pop over to our Facebook group called Pink Sheep Tales Podcast and there you can stay up to date with all the exciting news from our pink sheep. You can also find myself at OCD, Organising, Cleaning and Decluttering Specialists on Facebook or on my website ocdpro.com.au. Well, I'll catch you back here next week. Until then, enjoy yourself.